With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hey, hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Oh, yeah, getting you ready for the Labor Day rematch tomorrow. 5 o'clock at Commonwealth Stadium. Our coverage starts with the countdown to kickoff at 3.30. Football tonight, we got Toronto leading Hamilton 14-7. That is at halftime. The triple header in the CFL tomorrow. That's going to be fun. So the 2 o'clock game will be Sask at Peg. Then Calgary at Edmonton. Ottawa at BC will be the uh, nightcap. BC uh, heavily favored to win that one. Ottawa not looking very good. They got that win here against the Elks, but I don't think they're a very good team overall. I mentioned the Blue Jays before the break. Uh, they are trailing the Orioles 3-1. That one now into the top of the sixth. The tennis story today is the Canadian Felix Auger-Aliassime is out straight sets, beaten by Medvedev. And the other men's semifinal is on the court. It is one set apiece between Djokovic and Zverev, and it's 2-2 in the third set. So that is shaping up to be a long one. Tomorrow, 2 o'clock Mountain Time, Layla Fernandez, the young Canadian, will try to cap it off. What a run at the U.S. Open. And to discuss that and more, former Canadian tennis star used to reside right here in Edmonton. Helen Kelsey is checking in. Helen, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Oh, hey, Reed. I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thank you for making time to come on the show. This is awesome to talk to you. We got to speak briefly this afternoon, and uh, you reminded me of your very strong connections to the city of Edmonton. So remind people about uh, your tenure as an Edmontonian and some of the highlights for you. Well, you know, I used to, uh, I was 13 when I moved there from Vancouver. So I was actually going to the same um, high school as Wayne Gretzky. Uh, And my uh, father actually was teaching Wayne some tennis lessons. So that was a lot of fun because I got to meet him. And then eventually, um, I was um, Mike Barnett. I met Mike Barnett, and then eventually he became my agent. So I have some really great ties and wonderful memories of Edmonton. And where did you used to train and play tennis when you were here? I think the club was called the Mayfield. I'm not exactly sure. Okay, yeah, I think Mayfield Tennis Club, uh, I think it's still there. Somebody might have to help me out. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, but, the Mayfield Tennis Club. It had a dinner theater and it had um, ice rinks and, uh, you know, some very nice tennis courts there. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's uh, that's awesome. So your, your journey to becoming an elite tennis player and, and a pro tennis player, like when did when did it really kick in for you? Because you know a lot of young people, a lot of teens can be really really good at a sport. But I mean to wind up doing something professionally, that's you got to be the elite of the elite. What what were some of the key steps in that journey for you? Well, you know, p- part of it was um, being able to play some international junior tennis events and you know like Leila Fernandez you know I played the junior French Open junior Wimbledon junior U.S. Open which happens in the second week of the actual professional tournament 
And, um, you know, I got to the semifinals of the Junior French Open, and that kind of opened up my eyes. Go, wow, I could really, I could really make it into the pros because I was right there on the same practice courts and same playing on the same courts that they were playing. And um, I think that this is really a, a big, a very important step because it gives you the belief. And, you know, two years ago, Leila Fernandez won the Junior French Open. And she really feels like she belongs out there. I mean, she's beating the number two and number three players in the world. I, I want to ask you, of course, about Layla, but just a couple more questions about your journey. Your, your dad, Milan, was your coach. That's was right. That, was that easier when you were a teenager or when you were in your 20s to have your dad as a coach? <laughs> was it always, I assume it wasn't always smooth sailing. <laughs> you know, uh the tennis parents and fathers especially, um, you know, they're uh, very important. And he played a huge role in my um, career. And, uh, you know, it was, um, uh, I want to say it was a, an emotional roller coaster, you know, um, but um, I wouldn't have been able to do it without him. Um, but you'll hear about a lot of tennis fathers out there. Hey, he was calm. I was the one that was uh, feisty and fiery. <laughs> he, he put me in my place. <laughs> you made, uh, if I have my stats right, you made 10 appearances at the U.S. Open. Yes. What, what's that atmosphere like? I mean, there's a lot of, and, and I think you were in the tournament the year, and I know this was on, on the men's side of the draw, but Connors had his late career run in, in 91 and had everybody going crazy. Um, I was not there know, like, watching though some of his matches. Yeah, so what was it like for those matches? He just had the crowd completely oh, behind him. He played them so well, but he was 38 years old. How could you not root for him? But coming down back from two sets down and winning, um, I think it's for, I was there uh, at, watching in the stadium when he beat Patrick McEnroe, John McEnroe's brother, and he was down two sets to love, and he came back and won in five sets. And uh, I think I, I left the stadium at like 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, electric out there. It's like no other. Uh, each Grand Slam has their own personality. But, you know, New York doesn't sleep. It's crazy there. The amount of energy, it's uh, electric. So is that at all difficult for a, a player? I mean, you know, even the during the match today, I heard the umpire yeah, I'm going to say, hey, like, you know, please, please quiet down. And last night during Layla's match, or as a player, would you like, no, like, I don't care. Like, yell when I'm serving. This gets me fired up. Uh, well, no, it's very distracting. And if you're on the outside courts, like this is in the stadium, you know, 14,000 people. But there are other matches going on the outside courts. There's 20 other courts. And they don't have the stadium. They have just a couple of stands there and it is so noisy because people are popping their beers eating chips talking on their phone and you you know they come there for the entertainment but that's not the only thing they come there for so it's so loud and distracting and if you're by the food court you see the the smoke coming from the hot dogs and the burgers crossing your court and you know the garbage is on the other side and the smell like it's just it's a craziness, but it's, uh, you know, you have to love it. You feel alive so, kind of out there. 
Very un, un, uh, New York experience for sure. Helen Kellesey joining us tonight on Inside Sports, former Canadian tennis player, former Edmontonian, and uh, talking about her career and, of course, about the magic of Layla Fernandez. I, I'm going to ask you from this point of view, when you watch Layla, or I guess any tennis match, do you evaluate you know, their technique, their forehand, backhand, or, or is it all about how are they handling the emotion? How are they riding the ups and downs of the match? I think it all comes to, it's all the same thing. You know, so when I watch Layla, you know, I can, um, I just, I kind of feel her calmness and her fierce, positive attitude too. Like she is a cool cat out there. Um, and I can feel her hitting the ball. It's so clean and so early that uh, it's just, it's thrilling to watch her. But yeah, I do watch her technique. I look at her footwork. I, I look at her whole mental attitude and the energy. And, you know, whenever she gives her fist pump into the air, that means she wants the crowd to start cheering for her. It's so graceful. Um, yeah, it's uh, quite a, I'm very, very impressed. Very impressed. I, I want to get your perspective, too, on Canadian tennis. And obviously, you know, you had a, a great career. Uh, you know, Carling Bassett is a name I remember from the past. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, Daniel Nestor has been a good player. But I was looking at the U.S. Open draw back to the, the very beginning, and there were some other Canadians eliminated early that I didn't even realize were in the tournament. You know, I mentioned uh, Oje Aliassime. Uh, Layla's opponent tomorrow is not Canadian but was born in Canada. And right. obviously, Bianca won a couple of years ago. So it, it just, it just Shapovalov, I didn't even mention. I mean, he's been uh, outstanding. What, like, what what's happened? Like, is this are these the generations that you and some of your contemporaries laid the groundwork for that now we're, we're much better at tennis? Or where has it come from in your mind? Well, you know, when I started playing, you know, kind of Carling Bassett was, you know, she kind of set the path because she reached the top 10. And so for me, I got to see her. I got to see her in front of me and go, hey, I can do that too. I was inspired. Um, and, uh, you know, she was only a couple years older than me. And at that time, when I was a junior, you know, we had Grant Connell, Glenn Michibata, Andrew Schneider. And we all played the juniors together. We all played the, the, the Canadian Nationals. And then we were all on tour together. Um, and so we kind of grew, we, we grew together. It was nice, nice to, very nice, especially when the women got to play at the same tournament as the men, because then we could really feel each other there. You know, it, it really makes a difference. I think that what uh, Bouchard did and how, what, what she reached, you know, also opening the eyes for, for, for the Canadians to, hey, I can do that. I can be there. I can relate you know, um, and the way that Bianca and Dennis and Felix, those three, the way they grew up and trained together, they are all very close with each other. Um, so now you see Layla, like, yeah, I think it makes a big difference to those people that are in front of us. Um, you know, Posh Bashil, Milos, um, you know, we got some really fantastic tennis players. And even when I played back then with Jill Hetherington was number one doubles player in the world. Um, you know, we had Remy Simpson who got to, I think, top 50, you know, so yeah, it, it makes a difference. Helen, we're going to have to do this again, uh, and we'll, we'll have to schedule a little more time. Th this was awesome catching up with you and getting sure. your perspective on Leila Fernandez. Before I let you go, though, let people know what you're up to these days. Oh, 
well, I'm teaching right now at the Richmond Country Club in uh, Richmond, B.C., and I'm, you know, my passion is tennis. It's in my DNA, so I'm creating, and creating, I hope, uh, a bunch of new future champs. That's awesome. Helen, thanks for checking in here on Inside Sports. Enjoy the match tomorrow. Let's for sure do this again soon. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye, Reed. That is Helen Kelsey on Inside Sports tonight. Yeah, she uh, had, had a, a pretty good career, 1985 to uh, uh, 1987 uh, approximately, and now coaching the next generation of athletes. And well, like all of us, going to be cheering for Layla tomorrow afternoon. Canadian Derby preview next on Inside Sports. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Century Mile tomorrow hosting the Canadian Derby. It's expected to start around 7.50. And I am pleased to welcome to Inside Sports the trainer for Myopic, one of the favorites in the race, Robertino Diodoro, is on the line. Robertino, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for checking in. Myopic, tell us a little bit about this horse. Well, he's a horse that we haven't had for a long time, but uh, we bought him uh, roughly a couple months ago uh, out of uh, Fast and Tippett's uh, uh, sale in Kentucky. Um, kind of a rush job into the Manitoba Derby. Uh, uh, ran a decent second and uh, went back to Minnesota and trained uh, the last uh, month there and uh, has arrived uh, here in Edmonton on Monday. Okay, the the Derby has been good to you. You have won uh, one of your horses that you've trained has won four of the last eight Canadian Derbies. What is it about you in this race? Uh, it's just a you know it, it's uh, every trainer that uh, has been born or raised in Alberta. They uh, you know it's the Stanley Cup of uh, horse racing here in Alberta, and uh, you know been really fortunate to have some. Uh, um, you know, owners uh, really support me and uh, want to win it just as bad as I do. Uh, you know, we've been uh, fortunate enough to pick the right horses and, you know, bring up some uh, good horses for the race. Okay. Your story is, is an interesting one because you are, as you mentioned, you know, you grew up in Alberta, but uh, the sport of horse racing has taken you to, to various locations. Tell us about kind of that, I hope I'm phrasing this the right way, but that journey up up through the ranks of, of being a trainer in Alberta and, and where it's taken you since. Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, born and raised in Calgary and, uh, you know, first started training uh, out at Trout Springs, a track that used to be uh, east of Calgary, and then uh, Stampede Park, Northlands, uh, Lathbridge, and uh, well, roughly 20, 2010, uh, started heading down to Turf Paradise in the winter, and uh, slowly branched off into Southern California to Santa Anita and Del Mar, and and uh, now over to the East Coast, uh, New York and uh, Kentucky, uh, Louisiana, Texas, and uh, our home base now is in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas, Oaklawn Park. So it's, uh, it's been quite the journey, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. 
And, and was it keep me in mind, the horse you had in the Kentucky Derby this year? Yes, yeah, keep me in mind. He ran in the in the Kentucky Derby and uh, ran in the Preakness, and last start was in the in the Travers in uh, Saratoga. All right, so you're, I mean, you literally have horses uh, all over, and that's and that's so cool that you know, even though you've you've gone to different parts of Canada and the states, that it's still important for you to put a horse here in uh, in the Canadian Derby. So that'll be a big one tomorrow. Uh, Eleven horses tomorrow, uh, and you mentioned myopic is is relatively new to you. So as a trainer in a relatively short time frame, what what are some of the biggest impact you, you can have on a horse like myopic and how he's able to compete tomorrow? Well, a couple things. Uh, the, the one thing, uh, the horse was a little bit on the light side when we got him, and you know that could have been just going through the sale and some traveling and stuff. And you know he, he's definitely put on some weight over the last month, and uh, uh, we changed up a couple things on his equipment uh, for uh, race day, and uh, he's worked. Uh, his last couple works have been uh, tremendous, so uh, we're pretty excited about tomorrow and. Uh, you know, the old saying, you need some uh, racing luck. So hopefully we can get lucky. Right on. Okay. Well, Robertino, thanks for coming on the show. I know it's busy for you the night before the big race, but thanks for checking into Inside Sports. Thanks for uh, telling some of your story. We'll have to have you on again, and maybe we can dive into a little more detail. But we really appreciate it. All the best. No, thanks for having me. You guys have a great night. Right on. That is Robertino Diodoro, trainer for Myopic, the 92nd running of the Canadian Derby tomorrow. So the uh, racing card starts at around 2.50. The Derby scheduled to go at around 7.50. And Infinite Patience, the horse owned by Ryan Nugent Hopkins, is in the Northlands Distaff. That's supposed to start at around 6.15. Back after the news and weather, Inside Sports on Chat. The rematch of the series in Ontario is uh, a little bit surprising to this point. Two and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Argos leading the Tiger Cats 17-7. Argos jumped out to a 14-0 lead in that game. We'll see if they can hang on. The uh, Tiger Cats beat them pretty bad in the Labor Day game on Monday. The Blue Jays trying to keep their winning streak going. Well, they fought back. They were down 3-0 early. Now in the seventh, Jays and Orioles are tied 3-3. We'll keep you updated on that one. I mentioned Felix Oje Aliassime, the Canadian in the men's semis at the U.S. Open, lost in straight sets this afternoon to Daniel Medvedev, 6-4-7-5-6-2. The other semi, Djokovic and Zverev on the court right now, a set apiece, and Djokovic leads the third set 5-4. So there you go. And uh, we were talking about the Canadian Derby as well. That was cool to have Robertino Diodoro on the show, trainer for Myopic, one of the favorites tomorrow. And Robertino has had the Derby winner in four of the last eight years. He also had another uh, winner uh, wind up being uh, disqualified. So he's had the first horse to the finish line five of the last eight years, but it did not stand up in one of those years. But pretty awesome career for Diodoro. That was nice to speak to him. Okay, well, I'm glad to welcome this gentleman back to Inside Sports. Uh, his appearances were wiped out last year by the pandemic but he is always a welcomed contributor inside sports even though 
even though he is from Calgary, which I know already you have pe listeners against you, Greg. There's probably people booing your ra their radios, saying, why is Wilkins having this guy on? We, we only want to know why the stamps are bad. We don't want to hear anything else. Uh, we'll see. It's Greg Peterson on the line. How are you doing, buddy? Right, good. It's always good to talk to you, Reed. I'm only on because of you, by the way. So. Oh, well, thank <laughs> That's, that's awesome. Thank you very much. No, it, it is good to catch up. I've, I've always enjoyed our chats, whether they be about Labor Day or other things going on with the Stamps or in the Canadian Football League. I, I was thinking, though, uh, like Trent Brown and James H. Brown, now the title sponsor of Inside Sports. Uh, Trent Brown's been on the show a few times, and, and you went into law as well. Like, what is it? If you're if you're a Canadian defensive back, you you got to go into law when you're finished or what? Well, I don't know, but it was, it's been great for me. I've been practicing law now for 30 years and with a, a very good law firm, Gowling uh, WLG. So, you know, it was good for me, but it, you have to sacrifice a lot in order to get your law degree while you're playing. So if Trent did that, I got a lot of accolades for him because I know what I had to go through and my family. So good on him. And, and did you work on it during your career as well? I did. It took me six years to finish my law school because normally it takes three years, but I just went in the off season and I went to a school in California, a very good school that permitted me to do that. And then you have to article and that normally takes a year. It took me two years. So for me to get my law degree, I had to move 12 times in six years with a wife and two kids. Um, and, you know, it was a big sacrifice while all my buddies were in Hawaii in the off season having a good time. I was down in the dungeons of a law library started studying law books but it turned out to be a very good profession for me for a number of reasons um i'm still involved in minor football in a number of ways in calgary uh sit on a lot of boards and you know it, it was it's been a great profession for me it must have been interesting though for your fellow students you know when you'd meet new people at the start of a semester or a new year hey greg so what, what was your summer job oh like i'm actually a pro football player <laughs> Yeah, and, and my last year I transferred to Calgary just to take classes at the UFC, and I, I did it a little bit while I was playing. I took one class, uh, constitutional law, while I was playing the last year, and I remember one game we played in Saskatchewan, and, and that time Saskatchewan's turf was brutal, and uh, you got lots of turf burns, and I remember I had turf burns all over and bandages on my elbows and my knees, so I had to wear shorts, and I walked in, I remember the prof saying, you must have really burned yourself bad in a fire. Come up and tell the entire class what happened. So I had to uh, do that. But you know what? It was. Uh, I encourage any CFL player to continue to get their education or a trade because we all know you don't make money in the CFL like they do in the NHL or other pro sports uh, to live off of or retire. So um, I always encourage any CFL player to do something in the offseason to protect themselves for the future. Well, and you got to have money aside, and of course, hey, more more money's nice. But money aside, I mean, you got to have something to do with your life when you're 30 or 35. I mean, that's the interesting journey of a pro athlete. And I'm not asking you know anybody to have sympathy for you or anybody else, because of, of course, being a pro athlete is is a great life. But still, I mean, it 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 often ends at a time when a lot of us are just getting our careers going and really getting established, and then there's sort of that. That's that start over period for uh, a, an ex player who might be 28, 32, 36, whatever. You're definitely behind. I was 
when I was in law school, by the end of my law school, I was you know, like 32, 33 years old, and most of the people in my class graduating were in the 24, 25-year-old category. But, um, it, it, yeah, you just have to do it. Too many CFL players just don't think of their future, at least in my day they did. I think with the CFLPA um, harping on it, a lot more players are understanding you. You have to get yourself ready for the future. Um, but, you know, even NFL players, my roommate on the road, I've talked to you about this when I played in college at BYU, was Steve Young. And Steve Young went to law school. He went to law school because I told him he should go to law school. And he called me up and said, uh, I understand you're going, and how do you do it? And he, you got to credit him. He was making something like $12 million a year at the time, but he went out and on and got his law degree. Now, he doesn't have to use his law degree because he's rich. I had to use mine because I'm not rich. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys both went into broadcasting, too, which is, which is pretty cool. But, yeah, uh, yeah, Steve never practiced law, but he just always wanted to get his law degree. I roomed with him on the road. And I would be studying to get good grades, and uh, he kind of said, you know what, I, I think I'll do that. And you, you got to credit him for doing that, but CFL players should take care of themselves in the offseason for a future career. Yeah, absolutely. Greg Peterson joining us tonight on Inside Sports, former Calgary Stampeder, now the color analyst for Stamps Football on News Talk 70, uh, 770. That's our sister station in Calgary. Okay, let, let's quickly look back to Monday. I'll, I'll ask you the the simple questions, and, and we'll see if, if 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 it is that simple in your mind, or if you want to dig a little deeper. Stamps offense uh, was it just drop balls, or was there more to them not scoring a little more? You know what? They didn't play very well. That um, broadcasting all their games, obviously, they, they played very well against Winnipeg the game before that, and even the prior games. That was their worst game. Drop balls really hurt, but they're a young team. Uh, I look at their secondary, which the Elks just killed them last game with those three deep balls. Uh, the most veteran person in their secondary is a second-year player. So they're young, inexperienced, and they're going through a lot of growing pains. And their offense, they're making mistakes at the wrong time. But the Elks certainly were a heck of a lot better football team in the Labor Day Classic. I mean, I'm hoping that turns around, but I could just see the – experience that the Elks have come out when the inexperience the Sam Peters have. This game might be different, though, with Bo Levi-Mitchell back at quarterback. Yeah, and I want to ask you about Bo, but I'm glad you touched on the Stamps secondary as well because I certainly noticed that. I mean, the deep shots from the Elks, and I thought even some other plays where, you know, Calgary blitzed, and and I think on one play, uh, Harris hit Walker hot, and he didn't just complete it. Then he also had room to run for the first down. I think there was another quick slant that they hit when, when Calgary blitzed. So, you know, it was just, uh, it seemed like the cushion was often there, either deep or underneath for the Elks receivers. Good point, Reed, because I thought they played, the defensive backs of Calgary played tentative. They played too cautious, gave way too much cushion. And, and I've been there. When you're blitzing and you know you haven't got free safety help or you haven't got your Mac or your middle linebacker help, you kind of like grab a yard or two because you don't want to get beat deep. And Trevor Harris, being the experienced quarterback he is, he was just hitting those passes. Uh, it was just pitch and catch. It was right in front. And then I don't think they really respected or understood as the proper term the speed of the Elks outside guys. I mean, the Elks have 
you know, Walker and Edwards are two very fast, out, two outside receivers, and they just blew by uh, Stampeder corners for those big bomb, uh, three of them, uh, for touchdowns. And, you know, that was the game in my mind. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned Bo Levi is coming back. Eddie Steele and I talked about him earlier. Uh, Eddie Steele, you're, you're probably going to love this, and maybe this will heat up the Edmonton-Calgary rivalry a little bit, but Eddie said uh, Bo Levi is, is certainly uh, – can play with some arrogance and he said that's putting it mildly but hey if you're a teammate you probably like that um what do you think Bo's biggest impact is going to be and, and of course we talked about the drops and maybe this year's Calgary team as a whole not being as, as mighty as some of the past squads but what do you see Bo's impact tomorrow well I guess his experience and the fact that he has been the best quarterback in the CFL um some of the years throughout his career and you know there were a couple of plays that jake mayer who played very well i thought in all the games he he started in but there were a couple of quick hot routes where he fired the ball quite a bit and our receivers didn't catch it bo will have more of the touch and 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 bo's just got that experience plus just being the veteran vocal person in the locker room right now this stampeder team are as i indicated they're young and they're growing and they just don't have that voice in the locker room right now to get guys going or whatever and have Bo back on the bench is, is really going to help. All right. Uh, you obviously played on Labor Day. I'm just double-checking. There was not always a rematch uh, in in your career. I think it was more uh, towards the end of your career. They started doing the Monday-Friday thing. Now it's Monday-Saturday. What kind of a toll was that on your body to have to play with just three days off? I mean, did you, did you even go on the field or, or do much in between games? Uh, back when I played, we did because <laughs> we had coaches that were a little bit archaic in their thinking. And, yeah, we were, we'd always have a day hit. Now they don't do it. They're a little bit smarter in that regard. But, you know what, I never minded it. it I always liked it because you got paid after each game, and that means you got a paycheck uh, pretty quick coming. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you know what, yeah, some of the – it did take its toll, you know. I noticed it more the latter part of my career when, uh, when you know, my eighth and ninth and tenth year when um, things really got – you know, you're older – and your body takes longer to heal from the previous game. The first part of my career, yeah, we didn't do it, but I think for the older guys, it does. A week in between games is better. And not only that, a lot of football players just like routine. So they like to have, okay, the day after, two days before, three days before. This week is a little bit different. It's throwing your, you off your, your, your routine. And so a lot of players might not like that. But you know what? I love the fact that they have the back-to-back, the Labor Day Classic, then come up to Edmonton. This is kind of your Labor Day Classic. I hope they never uh, don't do it because I just think it's a great thing for the CFL and a super great thing for both the Elks and the Stampeders. I'm looking at the Labor Day back-to-back in 1991, September 2nd and September 6th. Calgary won on Labor Day 48-36. Edmonton won the rematch 51-37. Like, what did you guys just dress eight men on defense? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, another kind of new element of this back-to-back is which coaching staff can adjust to the other which players can I think it's to the advantage of the team that lost the second game they just got that more 
oomph, momentum, whatever, and they're willing to adapt more where the team that wins maybe want to continue to do what they did. The other team now is a little bit more prepared. So, uh, yeah, we had some great Labor Day matches, though, and some of the, my fondest memories as a player are Labor Day. Yeah, and and I mean, I should reference for people, 1991, if it's not the highest-scoring season in CFL history, it'd be up there i think there were some crazy scores that i think a couple teams scored 60 throughout that year as well greg thanks for checking in it's always a pleasure to have you on the show Uh, i always love hearing the stories about uh, your law career in the early days as well and thanks for your perspective on what the stampeders are going to bring tomorrow man i really appreciate it thanks a lot and i always look forward to uh going to commonwealth it's a beautiful stadium and it's a great rivalry and thanks for having me on the show appreciate it right on that is greg peterson Color analyst for Stamps Football on News Talk 770 in Calgary, former defensive back for the team as well. Yeah, I just quit. I, I used that sharp sports site I mentioned earlier. So the first year of uh, the back-to-back was 1989. It was September 4th on uh, Labor Day, September 8th, the Friday back in Edmonton. The double uh, E won both 31, 14 and 38, 27. They uh, swept again in 1990, 38, four, and then 34, 17. And then I mentioned in 91, uh, it was uh, a Labor Day win for Calgary. And then Edmonton won at home. I don't, it doesn't look like they had the back-to-back though in 92. And I, I know there's a couple of years it's been missed. And of course, uh, in the process of searching for this, and I'm sure some of you re- remember this, the, uh, the one time, oh, now I lost it. It was, yeah, in 1981, the game was not on Labor Day. They played at Calgary on Saturday, September 19th. That was the last time there wasn't a Labor Day Classic. Anyway, 749, we got to call a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Paying attention to the the standings, um, not so much, but understanding where we're at with a uh, with a rival team and where they're at, um, it is a big deal, and and I think they know that too. And so I think that's going to affect you know their energy and the way that they come out swinging. They're going to be aggressive, and um, but but so are we. And so, like I said, I think this is going to be a great one because uh, two teams are you know one's trying to get a first win at home, and one team is trying to prevent uh, getting in a big time hole, and so. Um, this is uh, this is a big one. That is quarterback Trevor Harris. The Elks are sitting at two and two. The Stampeders one and four. Man, oh man, the uh, Harris is right. The Elks can push him into a big hole with a win tomorrow. Countdown to kickoff at three thirty here on six thirty. Chad, the game starts at five. Weather looks good. Should be eighteen around kickoff and stay in the high teens for most of the game. Maybe a little bit of rain earlier in the day, but that should be done by 2 o'clock. Now, maybe you're listening to me talk about the weather thinking, whoa, 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 where's Reed getting this information? Is he talking to Halsey's guy? Has Halsey's guy become Reed's guy? Does Reed have his own guy? Is Halsey sitting there like, hey, hold on a second. You can't have a guy. I got a guy. Don't worry. I'm using the Environment Canada app. I don't have a guy. I'm sure Halsey's guy 
is telling him so. I talked to Halsey this afternoon, Kellen. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. How's he doing? Yeah, I had to call Halsey. It was, it was great. It was great to talk to him. I love talking to Halsey. Yeah. It was awesome. Right on. He's always, he's, he's always interesting. That was good. But, no, uh, I don't have a guy. I have the Environment Canada app. Should be good weather for the game. Maybe you have to wear a light jacket or something, but it'll be uh, pretty good. Jamie Elizondo, the coach of the Edmonton Elks. He was asked, is the second game of the back-to-back tougher on the team who won the first game? Yeah, it's a good question. I think those back-to-backs, whether across the league, are always difficult because of that, because you never want to lose two. You never want to lose two to a division rival. Um, You know, it sets you back in the standing, so I think there's urgency. Um, On the flip side of it, we focused on the opportunity to create some separation. Um, You know, if we're... We do the things that we're supposed to do. We come out. Um, I think it all starts with your intensity level. I think that the games are such a peak emotionally. There's everybody's always said the CFL season starts, you know, on Labor Day and the Labor Day weekend. So I think there's a lot of amp up leading to those games. And I think there can there's naturally sometimes a letdown on the team that won the first one and an urgency on the the team that lost one. So I think that's going to be one of the keys of the game is make sure that we are operating with a full tank of gas and and really operating with a an edge that's we need to we need to set the standard for what that edge and that intensity level is going to be in this game. All right, looking forward to it again. Three thirty for the countdown to kickoff here on six thirty. Chad, the game will start at five. Final look at the scoreboard here before we go. Now 17-10 for the Argos leading the Tiger Cats. That one with 9-20 left in the fourth quarter. It is Djokovic up two sets to one on Zverev in the men's semifinal at the U.S. Open. It is 1-1 in the fourth set. Canadian Felix Auger-Aliassime eliminated in straight sets in the other semi this afternoon. Two o'clock tomorrow for Layla in the women's final. Blue Jays now down 6-3 in the bottom of the seventh against the Orioles. Blue Jays uh, fought back to tie it, but now the uh, Orioles still batting, and they've already scored three times in the bottom of the seventh. Canadian uh, Derby tomorrow. Uh, That'll be around 7.50 at Century Mile. Uh, Nuges Horse Infinite Patience runs in the Northlands Distaff. That'll start around 6.15. Thanks to our guests tonight, Greg Peterson, Robertino Diodoro, Helen Kellesy, Eddie Steele, and Dave Campbell, who's also the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy is your studio producer. My name's Reed. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Talk to you Monday. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.